Okay, it's my great privilege to welcome Pastor Fred May, the founder of Shofar. Just before he comes, I just want to give some feedback, so not feedback, but like some context, some background. Many of you don't know necessarily his story, and I, I think it just, you know, when you know someone's story, it gives you an amazing context, and uh, we have huge respect for Pastor Fred. Both Sonic and I, we, uh, we joined the church in around 95, 96. We were students in Stellenbosch. Pastor Fred's background, he, uh, in the 80s, he met uh, his wife, Lucille, and there was this time where it was uh, illegal for a colored man to marry a white woman, as I understand, and uh, in that time, everybody was saying, you know, you can't do this, it's crazy, don't do it, but then the Lord spoke to him and said to him, the laws are going to change, God spoke to me, the laws are going to change, and it did very soon thereafter, and they were married, so... It was, a, it was a huge breakthrough for them. And I, and I think that's part of who Pastor Fred is. He's a pioneer. He, uh, he goes where others <laughs> don't go easily. And uh, it's been over the years like that. Even I shared it yesterday as well. But he, they started the church in Stellenbosch, which is an Afrikaans community, white Afrikaans community. And so they planted a church there in the middle, beginning 90s. Uh, English-speaking church led by a, a colored man. And uh, they experienced a lot of persecution, a lot of opposition. Uh, Pastor Fred once shared with us how even other church leaders would call him in at some stage in the 90s and say, we're going to run you out of this town. You and your gospel is not welcome here. And for me, it was amazing to see the faithfulness of God who vindicates those whom he has appointed. And over the years to see how our church in Stellenbosch exploded with growth. And, uh, and the other churches were battling, you know. So, so God is good. God is faithful. But I think Pastor Fred is a visionary. This weekend is about vision. He's a visionary and he stretches. He stretches us. He's going to stretch you this morning. He's going to stretch your thinking. He's going to stretch your perspective on things. And I believe that's part of who I, I, I am. You know, all the years under his ministry, I, I really battle to think small. And I think it comes from him. And I love that. You know, I, even sometimes when I meet other pastors and ministers, I'm thinking, why are you thinking so small? Why are you thinking so small? You know, and, and I realize I'm thinking big because of the legacy, being part of this family, being part of, of this ministry. And uh, so we have huge respect for Pastor Fred and uh, everything you've done, your faithfulness over the years. It really is incredible. And we would not be here today if it wasn't for his obedience. So I really think we can open our hearts wide today and, and, and honor him for who he is in God and, uh, and receive from him. Amen. So please stand with me. We're going to put our hands together for Pastor Fred. Welcome. Okay, thanks so much, Andre. Goodness, you're very good at that, all that saying nice stuff, business. Can't be done better. It's really good to be here. And uh, I trust we've all slept well, and we're ready, and we're receptive. Can, can we just pray? And, and that's not for you, just, just for me. I just need to get into the zone. <laughs> the worship's been awesome, and it's been tremendous being in London and just seeing what God is doing here, and especially how uh, God is uh, so unfairly with Andre and Sonica. Everybody else around them is getting old and Moving on, and they still look exactly like they did back in the day. It's terrible. I mean, 
everybody around, Andre is becoming a role model. You know a role model? <laughs> He's just not going to go there. Well, he manages it well. Listen, it's, it's just great. It's just awesome. It's just, and uh, just to see God allowed the freedom to be God and to do what only God can do, that is um, very inspiring, very encouraging. Let's pray. Father, it's just so amazing, Lord, that you invite us and that you welcome us and that you daddy us, that you father us, that you love us. And, and that's what we're here today, Lord. We, we want to become responsive and we want to understand something more of, of just who you are and, and how you feel and what you're thinking. Lord, we thank you that we're made in your image and we call to reflect something of your glory and your, your goodness and your beauty. And uh, God, we can't do that. We, we can't think ourselves or wish ourselves into that. But your spirit has come to transform us and conform us. And that's our purpose here this morning, Lord. We just have a heart's cry, change us. Make us, not, not into anybody different or anybody special. We just want to become like you because we love you, because we realize you love us. And so we commit these next few minutes and all the thoughts in between to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Read with me from um, Psalm 139, verses 7 to 12. King David speaking, and um, David has a whole lot of psalms that he writes. And, and this is a very poignant one. It's an extent. It's an existential psalm. He's, he's talking about him as a person, his identity, like where he comes from and, and how it all happened. It's a very profound psalm. And in the middle of uh, this very personal bit of scripture, there's, uh, there are these few thoughts about, about God and his God concept. And I want us to focus on that just this morning. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee to escape your presence? If I were to ascend to heaven, you'd be there. If I were to sprawl out in Sheol, which is uh, Hebrew for hell, uh, you'd be there. If I were to fly away on the wings of the dawn and settle down on the other side of the sea, even there your hand would guide me. Your right hand would grab hold of me. If I were to say, certainly the darkness will cover me and the light will turn to night all around me. Even the darkness is not too dark for you to see and the night is as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. Just profound thoughts. I mean, it was written some 4,000 years ago. And since then, we've gone through a lot of stages of thinking about reality, thinking about God. And, and um, even a few thousand, two thousand years later, you know, in the Middle Ages, people didn't think of the world as bigger than the, the bit of parochial space, the little bit of space they had. And they believed that if you went too far, you'd fall off the edge of the world. And now, this is written way before that. Just to give you an understanding of just how inspired David was by the Holy Spirit. I mean, David, yeah... Um, he's expressing cosmology. He's talking about flying away. He's talking about going up into space. He, he's saying, if, if I got onto a spacecraft and went to the edge of our galaxy and, and, and started transcending into other parts of the universe, um, I'm going to discover you there. He says, and if I were to travel across the globe and cross the seas and arrive at another um, shore, in other words, another continent, <laughs> I'm going to discover you there. And, and then he moves us out of physical, geophysical material space, and he moves us into figurative spiritual space, and he talks about his dark places. Even if I go to my darkest place, even if I travel around in my inner world, I'm going to find you there. My happiest moment, my deepest, darkest moment, you're going to be there. Just, just amazing. David, David takes us on a dimensional trip, not only earth dimension, but the spiritual dimension. And he says something very powerful about who God is. And theologians speak about 
God's presence in two terms. They speak about the transcendence, the out there-ness, the unknowableness of God, um, the fact that, that his person, his being, and, and the extent of his being is, is actually unfathomable. That's what transcendence really means. And go with me to another scripture where Moses speaks about the same thing, and he seems to differ from David. And, and I want to speak into uh, just that space where these two gentlemen don't seem to agree on, on what, what the presence of God is. David says it's everywhere, and David says it's everywhere in a palpable way. He talks about um, the futility of trying to escape from God. He says there's no escape. He says we're in a prison of God's being. And then he talks about the fact that it doesn't matter where I run to. If I intentionally run from God, I'm going to find God grabbing hold of me. He literally says God will grab hold of me regardless of where I come to. God, God has an active presence everywhere. But now, listen to Moses. And uh, the context here is the Exodus, the, the Israelites are leaving um, the, the Middle East, and they're going through Sinai and all that. And there comes a moment where, where God expresses a little bit of chagrin, a little bit of um, unhappiness, actually deep unhappiness with the Israelites. And he says to Moses, I need to uh, just reevaluate uh, my commitment here and, and my relationship to you and, and the people of Israel. And he says to Moses, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to fulfill all my promises. I'll take you to the promised land. Um, and I'll do everything that I said for you that I said I'd do, except for one thing. I'm going to miss the trip. I'm not going to go with you. Um, instead, I'll send my angel to go ahead of you. He's going to clear the way, and, and everything will be as planned. And then Moses comes back to God and he says, <clears throat> God, uh, I, I don't think that's a good idea. Um, it's going to reflect poorly on, on who you are and our history together and all that, um, because people are watching us. Ever, ever since uh, what you did in Egypt, the whole world's been buzzing. The news have been gotten, has, have gotten all around the globe as to how you shook Pharaoh, how you humiliated him, how you brought an empire to its knees just sovereignly by all the stuff you did. The whole world knows about it. Now they're watching us. We're on CNN every night. There are choppers hovering above, and, and there, there's ongoing commentary as to how the Israelites are doing. And now you're wanting to withdraw? I don't think it's going to go down well. Um, and then... God relents, which is incredible, and, and we may talk about that later. And, and God says this. He says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And then Moses replies, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people that are on the face of the earth. And so, interesting David is speaking about his personal identity and where he comes from in the womb and all that. And then in the middle of that, he reflects on the presence of God. Moses is talking about national identity and about who they are as a nation and all that. And, and then this conversation about the presence of God, just very interesting. Um, I, I, I uh, introduce rabbit trails all the time because I'm hoping that people will go home and, and understand that what I'm sharing has nothing to do with the sermon. But it would be great if we had 20 hours to just do all of that and you had the stamina like the church in china so we could just go and go it's just fascinating all this stuff but then moses has a different understanding of the presence of god to david moses obviously referring to the cloud that is there in the day and the fiery pillar at night and the fact that god's presence seems to be iconic in other words it's it's reduced to to an image that is visual and maybe even tangible something that you can touch and I think that's the image that most of us are comfortable with. That's, that's what happened in the Middle Ages. That's what the Roman Catholic Church did. No offense to the Roman Catholics in their house. Um, an attempt, mostly idolatrous throughout the ages, of reducing God 
to an anthropomorphic image, something that looks like a human, so roughly, something that you can touch. And, and somebody was speaking about it yesterday. Tiens was talking about it on Friday night. Something one can bow down to, something that you can connect with and relate to, something that looks like a human. And obviously, um, God showed concern for this, and God understands this. And from there, the incarnation, God becoming human, flesh, taking on form. But also then, obviously, God, Christ saying, listen, I must go away. I must change back to my original form. I must go away so that the Holy Spirit can come. So I'm sharing those things just to keep Tiens with us because he's frowning. He's trying to get his head around this, and I'm just preaching at him now. I'm going to leave him alone now, and then we're going to do an actual message. We're going to leave the deep philosophical, theological issues, and uh, we can have a conversation about all that stuff afterwards. But just very interesting. Theologians refer to what, what Moses is talking about, God's year-and-nowness, his imminence, the fact that he can be accessed, the fact that we can have a relationship with him in a, in a person-to-person sense. And, and God speaks of Moses like that, that God had a relationship with Moses that was very close, very intimate. God says he spoke to Moses face-to-face as a man to a friend. That's literally how God said it. And that's how Moses understood the presence of God. So without creating too, con- too much confusion, I believe that between Moses and David, they've got a pretty complete understanding of, of what our, our grasp of the presence of God ought to be. I had uh, a moment where people arrived at a service from Holland, very precious people many years ago, and, uh, and they had an air ticket for me, and I made the mistake of not checking whether it was actually business class or first class, because maybe I would have had a different response if I just had a closer look at the ticket. But they wanted me to fly to Florida, where there was apparently a revival happening, and God was apparently in Florida, so I was meant to fly to Florida to experience God and to know God. Um, and, and very, very sweet. But obviously, you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but we're meant to find moments like that deeply offensive. Because just think about it. Our galaxy is, is pretty massive relative to the earth. I mean, I should have brought props. I, I've normally got props with me. Has somebody got a sweetie or something? Just, just something tiny. Just Okay. We, we, we're getting salvation from a lady's bag. Anything's possible. Sonica, there's, there, there's, some, there's something arriving. Something's on his way. That, that is, that is, that is, okay, that, that, one's, that one's battle, as the Americans would say. <laughs> now, just, just, just one. Just, just one. Okay. Here you have. Here you have. This planet, planet Earth. Planet Earth. And this, this whole table here, this uh, is, a, is a very shrunk version of our galaxy. But our galaxy is part of a universe that's much probably the size of this hall. And our universe is, is part of constellations that, that are much greater than, than, than East London. And there are billions of them. Just to give you an idea. Now, people arrive at church and they've got a, a ticket. And they want me to fly to some pinprick on the other side of this little planet here. Because God's apparently hiding there and we must pursue him and find him. But that Sunday morning, he wasn't where those people were and we were in, in Africa and South Africa. No, he was in Florida. Because that's where a revival is happening. I mean, it's pretty ridiculous, isn't it? And this man was a professor. He, he said he was the best at his uh, discipline. He was an eye specialist. He said he knew more about the eye than anybody else in the world. So it's not dumb people. It's just that a, a God concept... Um, he's a little bit challenged sometimes, and, uh, and the fact is God is greater than his whole universe. We, we have no way of, of getting our brains around that, around God's bigness, his size, massive. And then Moses talks about what Andre talks about, God being in this hall, in this building, in a special way, God being present in a, in a very palpable way. And now is David wrong? Is Moses wrong? Is Andre wrong? No. I believe it's, it's two sides of the same coin. And, 
And it's actually not, not as out there as, as it is. It's, it's not as big as it is. But I, I really do believe that, that the one notion, the one idea that, that seems to be so persistent among charismatic people that we must get rid of is, is this idea that God has a great deal of fun playing hide-and-seek with us. You know, and understand the God chases and pursuing God, but we need to understand that that's figurative and metaphorical concepts. It's not literal. You, you don't need to go and chase after God in the same way that this morning when you woke up in your house, um, your kid can walk from his room to where you are, but he knows where you are. You're in your bedroom, especially at half past four in the morning. You're just trying to sleep. And if you're trying to hide from him, it's, it's not like hide and seek. You're just trying to get that extra hour in, but he knows where to find you. And he can walk in there and touch you and hear you breathe and go back to sleep and, and know that everything's fine. The world's not going to disappear. It's not going to sink down a long black hole. But a lot of Christians are fueled by so many very powerful, deep emotions. Andre mentioned the word this morning. Um, there's, there's like a collective paranoia in the psyche of, of believers that has us have this weird relationship with God, and this weird expectation that maybe he's not going to be there. Maybe he's going to go away. Maybe he's not here. And, and David says, just, just don't go there already. It's, it's just so stupid. It's just so ridiculous. And so I can tell you what the challenge is. And, and this, this is why, why David was a man after God's own heart. So all I'm wanting to share with you this morning, this is the end of the message. God is everywhere. We don't need to look for him, find him. God is waiting for us to learn to be present to him. And it works like this. It's two people sitting in a coffee shop. The girl has just um, lost a dog and a father and a bonsai died for, for no reason. It, it got a viral attack and just regardless of what she did, it, it, it's a bad week. But she's at the coffee shop with a friend and she's trying to share just bit by bit about how her week's been and, and where she's at and what she's going through, how she's trying to get emotions around it. But her friend is not really with her because her friend seems to have an interest in a table over there where there's two gentlemen with long beards and checkered shirts, the hippest hipsters, um, in town, they're sitting at the table, and, and the friend is hoping to make eye contact with at least one of them. And so the lady at the table has to deal with the fact that maybe my week wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Maybe it's much worse. Maybe we weren't even friends, and maybe this is not, certainly not my best friend, because she can't even be here for me. It's like Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's never asked anything of the disciples, and then just once he says, Listen, can you be present for just one hour? I'm really going through stuff, you know, I'm bleeding, I'm bleeding to death. I can't explain. I don't really know what's going on. I know it's coming, and I, I, I've never been in this place before, and I'm afraid. I've never been afraid before, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid of the dark I'm going to have to go into now. And can, can you just be here for me? Just, just, You know what happens? It comes back, and they're snoring. went to pray for a lady the other day. I picked up on Facebook one of the ladies in church. I hadn't seen her around for a while. Left church. Then I see on Facebook that uh, she's posting something about having cancer. So I found out where she lived, went to her, arrived there, and she's had a double mastectomy for men. means uh, cancer, and uh, both her mammary glands were removed. And um, she tells me about a coffee with a best friend that week, and uh, she's the sweetest thing, this lady. And, and she says, the best friend says to her at one stage, um, man, uh, enough talk about you already. Let's talk about me. But she says this best, best friend has been talking all the time. In other words, she, with a real crisis, with a mother having to stress about maybe passing away, having to leave her husband with the kids, all that stuff, has to discover that she actually doesn't have a friend. You know, it's one of those times when, as a pastor, you really wish you could just take your pastoral jacket or find out who the friend is, go to a house, smash a door down, and just punch in the face. Say, grow up. I mean, become human. 
I mean, how, how hard can it be just to have respect for a moment like that? Just be a friend. But, but can I tell you that, that that's our problem? So I want to say something very strong today. But this nonsense of flying around for God and pursuing God because God is, is apparently doing miracles elsewhere and he's, he's happening elsewhere and it's really going amazingly elsewhere. Just stop it already. Can I say it again? I mean, when, when I got those air tickets from those dear Dutch people, some, just sometimes when I get angry, I get anointed too. So then I, <laughs> it was one of those moments. I said, I don't know who this chap is that I'm supposed to go and see, but I can tell you that he's a charlatan. He's not of the Lord. And within the month, he'll be exposed as that. And before the end of that month, London, England, refused him entry because he was a registered pedophile who was not even, not even supposed to leave his county. So the revival in Florida was an illegal one that I'm in to fly to, to find God. And then all the charismatic leaders that endorsed him at the time, him with all his tattoos and stuff. And, and you know when it happened, what happened? When he got exposed, no, nobody had ever laid hands on him. No, nobody had associated with him. But we have a crisis in the charismatic church. We have a crisis in the evangelical church. We need to get our heads around the fact that we must stop bugging God for revival and for breakthrough and all that. We must stop waiting for God. He's waiting for us. And we need to have a conversation like God had with Moses. God said to Moses, Moses, I'm with you. I'm faithful all the way, but I'm so cheesed over these people. And th- these days, the church is awash with preachers who says that God loves us so much that he's not allowed to get irritated or mad or impatient with us because he's too much of a teddy bear. And we decide how sweet he can be, but he's not allowed to not be sweet, to, to, to be angry. And please, people, read the whole of the Bible, starting with the Old Testament, and understand that God says he's immutable, he's unchangeable. I say deliberately that sometimes when I get mad, I get anointed because it doesn't make sense to modern people because the humanism that informs our understanding of morality and reality and what's good and bad is a lot of rubbish. It's demonic. So parents aren't allowed to get mad and be loving to their kids. And kids can't make the connection that if mom's mad, it's because she loves me. And Christians are as immature. When God's cross with us and he begins to discipline us, people don't understand that God really loves us. He cares enough to intervene, to speak, to tell Moses that we're going to have to make another deal here because obviously the people don't respect the fact that I am here. I'm on hand all the time. I moved you out of Egypt. I'm moving you through the Sinai. I'm here. But I'm going to withdraw a sense of my presence. I'm going to draw a sense of my closeness and my nearness. And if David were there, David would tell Moses, Moses, don't panic, don't panic. It doesn't mean God is going to go away. It just means he's withdrawing. He's going to be silent. He's not going to be speaking and he's not going to intervene. He's just going to hold back a little bit. But he can't go away. There's no way for him to go. <laughs> a friend of mine was in a morning service like this in America, and there was a prophet on stage, and the prophet had come to deliver a word to the ministry, and it went something like, The Lord, thus says the Lord, he pronounces Ichabod. Ichabod is the Hebrew for the glory of the Lord has departed. God pronounces this place as Ichabod. His glory has departed. He has left. And there's this pregnant silence and there's this uh, (laughs) little Down syndrome boy. And he stands up and he looks around and he seems puzzled. And he says, "Um, if God hath left the building, then who the hell is speaking now? (laughs) But that's the conflict we experience around the issue of the presence of God. It takes a little kid to to help us (laughs) to understand this. But let me just break it down and and maybe we, we can... We can learn something that the Israelites were meant to learn. Learn something that David knew. I'm going to be speaking about friendship and parenting today because our understanding of God afflicts us in our own relationships so terribly because of our God image that is skewed and our expectations from God. Moses is saying, God, 
It's great to have the promised lands, great to have angels, great to have all the supernatural, but we don't need that if we don't have a sense of your presence. And David is saying what every kid is trying to say to his parents throughout his lifetime. If, if you could get a kid to really be honest, to be just uh, 45 when he's just five years old, to say, what do you really want? He would say, Dad, could I have your presence instead of your presents, your gifts? I would let go of the cell phone. I'd let go of, much as I seem obsessed with these things, my tackies and all that. I'd let that go anytime if, if I could just have FaceTime with you. Because, you know, David says it so many times. Moses says it too. Our lives on earth are so brief. Do you know how few years we have? David says an average like 75. In the light of eternity, that's nothing. And the most powerful gift we can give to God is what you're giving God today. It's not your money, it's your time. Just sitting here. You have no idea what that means to God. No idea. Because he understands the run-up. He understands that it's going to take you some time to get away from here. And, and it took you some time here to get up early this morning. It means a lot to him. It really does. But for us as individuals, for our kids, it's the same thing. Personal face time is so important. Go with me to Exodus 14 where Moses demonstrates what we're talking about this morning. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. We're going to jump to another scripture now. Second Chronicles 20 verse 17. Jehoshaphat facing an overwhelming army. Everybody's afraid. The opposing forces are baying for blood. And Jehoshaphat speaks to the nation and to his soldiers. And he says, position yourself. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Jump with me to the New Testament, a warfare passage, Ephesians 6. At the end it says, having done all to stand, stand. And here's the thing. When it comes to presence in the way that, that I'm wanting to present it, and I believe God wants us to think about it, there's something so powerful that, that uh, God has brought to my heart that I hope the Holy Spirit will leave with you, embed with you, because it's, it's massively liberating. Moses facing this massive body of water, mountains on the, on the either side, and the, the army behind him, and they can hear the chariot wheels, they can see the dust clouds approaching, and anything between 1.8 and 2.6 million people with him, and Moses can make sums. He knows that we can only move as fast as the, as the old ladies at the back with their walkers. But we need to get through this. He doesn't know how God's going to do that, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's a quandary. It's, it's a massive, massive challenge. And everything about the situation says this is a good time to panic. But it's at that time that all the 40 years that Moses spent in the desert, all of that preparation comes down to this one moment of Moses doing the unthinkable, the incredible, the supernatural. The greatest grace and power of God at work in a human life has nothing to do with what we do. It has to do with his supernatural ability to, in the face of every odd that screams at you, that you're about to suffer your demise. You're about to get pulverized, crushed, just destroyed. Moses has the ability to focus and just be present to God. And he says to people, 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 just follow me. Just do what I do right now. Don't, don't panic right now. Let's be present to God here. Jehoshaphat does the same thing when faced with these uh, armies, these people with their swords and stuff, massive, massive, overwhelming odds. He says, just, just do like I do. Just focus right now. Let's be present to God. Ephesians chapter 6 says, once you've put your, all your armor on, recognize that part of that armor is, is not offensive. We weren't given missiles. We, we can't hit targets long way away. We were given a Roman sword that is no longer than a lo big dagger. It's not really a sword in the saber sense of the word. It's a short little thing. It's, it's, it's just for close contact. But for the most part, you're a sitting duck. You're just armed to protect yourself. And the most powerful thing the Christian soldier needs to learn to do is to learn to stand when he's done everything else. Put, you've put everything on. Just learn to stand. In other words, 
Don't faint, don't fall over, don't run away. But be quietly alert to the fact that God is here now and he's poised to move. If we can go back a couple of slides. Embassy. God is not going to open the Red Sea unless Moses is there and he's present. That's all that is needed for the crisis. Moses must be there. Because this is the thing. The function, the mission, the position of an ambassador. I was sharing yesterday that the most powerful image of intimacy in Scripture is that of father and son. And that's what Moses enjoys with God. Jehoshaphat standing before the army. And as he stands there, God sends an angel. Just one angel kills 185,000 people right there. Because the first thing that we need to understand as to why God wants us to learn this more than anything else, more than doing stuff, saying stuff, being tempted and seduced like the modern charismatic church to go deeper and deeper into the realm of the esoteric, of the magical. There's massive demonic doctrine in the body of Jesus Christ right now as we pursue the power of an absent God. But we're not idol worshippers, people. We are those who worship the creator of the universe. And if he were not present in the universe, nothing would function on either microscopic level or cosmic level. It's his presence that holds everything together. Physicists don't know where mass comes from. Wait. And scripture tells us the most powerful holy description of God is his glory, his chabot, his weight. That missing particle that they, the Swiss are trying to find with that, that, that whole experiment they're doing there. They're trying to find the God particle in the hope of, of explaining to us, the rest of humanity, where does mass come from? God is the weight of reality. He's present. He's everywhere. We, 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 are, we have a problem. We have a problem. When, when we stare at the mirror in the morning and we go, Ooh, I need to pick up weight. Ooh, I need to lose weight. Ooh, I need to get well. I, wh- whatever. There's so many fears speaking to us at every level of our existence. And our challenge isn't to learn new, to upskill, to learn new tricks, to learn deeper things. Our challenge is a very basic one. It's a relational one. It's learning to be present. And, and you know what a crisis does to you. You stand there and your mind goes into hyperdrive. You see your, your demise. It's like a near-death experience you have just, just in light mode. You can see your end, man. It keeps flashing before you. There was this moment in um, Indonesia, uh, no, Israel, last year, first uh, conference of Empower 21. We're part of a global, massive, massive uh, convergence of Pentecostal and charismatic churches. First conference. And there's a moment where there's an, an, a band. I shouldn't say where they're from, but they were from Australia. Um, <laughs> and and they, they're doing worship songs, and, and there's a, a big box at the back, and there's a bass player with a man bun, very, very sexy, tight clothes on. You can almost tell his, his, um, his religion. Um, but he's come to the edge, and, and he's doing a bass solo. But now, most of the people at the conference come from China, bless their hearts, you know. And, uh, and we don't know if we're meant to sing or clap or whatever, but the band's having fun. But I'm standing to the side, and, and I'm obviously not uh, mightily blessed by what's going on, because I'm aware that they're not they're not doing worship for us. They're doing worship for the 248 million people tuned in via TBN. That's what's going on. So whether we know the songs or whether it's relevant to us and our worship needs there, well, that's passe. But then comes the speaker afterwards, a man from Indonesia with a long name that's hard to memorize and a surname that's longer. And uh, he has his aides move all the Australian gear and gadget off the stage. And then he has his few instruments and his few Indonesian players. And they do quirkies, choruses, you know. Just a couple that the whole world knows and can sing along. So when everybody sings along and he, he, he feels we're all focused and present to God right now, he starts. And he does an introduction to his, his message and then suddenly he stops he, through an interpreter. He tells the interpreter to stop 
And then he takes his microphone like I'm doing right now. And in that next minute, my life changed. And, and God started speaking to me two years ago about the stuff I'm talking to you right now. He holds his microphone and just stares at us like this. And then he closes his eyes. And then with the ten English words I imagine he knows, he starts singing to Christ like a lullaby. Something like, your presence is heaven to me. He sings it over and over. I don't know at what point I clutch out. I totally clutch out. And by the time I come to, I realize that the whole place, it's an indoor stadium with the roof on. We've all clutched out. Christ literally took over. I just remember, I think I was weeping. I don't know what I was doing. I just know that I wasn't there. And I came to, and, and in the weeks and months that followed, every time I go back to that moment, I get overwhelmed with the same sensation of just breaking, breaking in the presence of God. But I couldn't get my head around it. And then after a while, it struck me. For that man to give me an experience of the powerful presence of God, he didn't need to do a sermon, a prophecy, a dance, a handstand, nothing. He didn't have to share scripture, quote scripture. He did nothing but demonstrate under the guidance of the Holy Spirit what it means to be present to Christ. He has a prayer tower in Indonesia, and from that prayer tower, there's a revival that's ripping Islam out of in Indonesia. You, you can go and check all of that on YouTube. Massive. But nobody cares to know who he is. Nobody cares to make the connection because there's no physical connection except that there are people like that on the earth today that like David and like Moses, like Jehoshaphat, can take the gospel into a place like Indonesia, which is said to be the window front of Islam, the greatest most powerful Islamic nation on the earth. And at the moment, the power of God is ripping through Indonesia. It's just something frightening. But for, for God to bring us as leaders from around the world together to show how it's done and how it's going to happen in the future, how we're going to face off the powers of darkness, is not by our skill, by our anointing, by our gifting. In fact, it has nothing to do with the contribution on our part. Oh, man, and that, that becomes tough. For a male, for a male that, that needs to do stuff, I don't know, ladies, how, how it's with you. You're more relational, but, but we, us guys, man, we need to feel useful. We, we get lost on a sense of purpose, and we must be purpose-driven and driven by eternity. We love being driven, goal-driven and ambition and aspiration-driven. Hmm. Hebrews 4 verse 10. For he who has entered his rest has also ceased from his own work. That rest refers to Sabbath rest. We don't have time now. I'm just dropping this with you. But the body of Christ needs to come back to the Sabbath. Not like the Seventh Days Adventists on a Saturday spoiling everybody's fun. I don't know how they get this wrong, but the Sabbath didn't happen on a Friday through to the Saturday. But if Sabbath only, it, it was festivals spanning a couple of days. They had a lot of public holidays back to back. And the idea was that there'd be enough recovery time for the Israelites, and, and the idea comes from the, the agricultural um, image, where the land is given enough time to recover. The land has produced a lot of stuff, but now the land must lie fallow for a season in the Sabbath year so it can be restored organically, naturally. And so our idea of holidays comes from the Sabbath principle in Scripture. Holiday comes from holy day. Get that? Holy day. It's a step there. And, and it, if you haven't traveled, this will mean nothing to you. But go to India, go to China, go to all the parts of the world where the Judeo Christian ethos has not made an impact culturally. And you'll find that there are no holidays, there are no weekends. There's just 24 7, seven days a week slog, labor, slavery. 
People don't live long. They don't live happily. They don't have lives in the sense that we in the West understand. We in the West are very privileged because right underneath our culture lies this understanding of you've got to take a break. You've, 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 you've got to give yourself a break. It's, it's sacred. But for us as believers, it's, it's more than just taking a physical break. There are these two things that I feel are important to us. We must understand that God wants to bring us face to face with the reality of his goodness. But now, it's, this is not good news. This is bad news. He wants to bring us face to face with his sufficiency, which isn't good news. It's bad news. It's bad news because we must deal with our insufficiency and our redundancy. God does not need us. When I worship and I say, God, you're great. God, you're awesome. God, you're everything. You know what I'm saying by implication? I'm not. When I say you all I need, I'm implying that I don't need me. And that, that's, that's the truth that has to come home on the Sabbath. There's, there's something about the human need to feel significant and fulfilled and important through the contribution we make that is natural but is so dangerous because it prevents you and me from ever being present to God. Because when the pressure's on, you know what happens? You and I are present to our own resourcefulness. You know, Budamaka plan? What am I going to do? God's not, pit, God's not pitching. God's not saying anything. So if God's not pitching, God's not saying anything. If there's not a wind blowing through the place, if people aren't falling over, it means God's not here. Because God can only be here if he makes things happen. We, we've got a very magical understanding, a, a very idolatrous understanding of the things of God. I'm speaking to the church today because we need to leave the space we're in. We're stuck somewhere in Sinai, and we're not in God's space at the moment. Something, some of the basic things that we take for granted aren't biblical. They're not scriptural. But God wants my nothingness. He wants my emptiness. And he wants me from time to time to embrace this very harsh, this, this, this very unpalatable reality. That I need him. He doesn't need me or my permission to do anything. I'm telling, I'm telling you, there's a move of God afoot globally. And God will do it with us or without us. But this nonsense that he's waiting on us to fast and to pray and to get with the program, it's a lot of nonsense. I can tell you where we are on God's calendar right now. God's about to move and he's about to show up and show himself and a lot of believers are going to miss him. I remember when I was 16 years old and God was doing a revival and we didn't know until much later. It wasn't our revival. It was something that was spanning the globe and, and manifestly most powerfully in America when the hippies came to Christ with the Jesus movement. Well, I was, I was part of that. And, and we had revivals at school. I was in ministry ever since then. Man, a lot of stuff happened. But we'd come home from school every afternoon and, and, and we'd just plonk our cases down and run to houses. And, and we'd pack out these houses, toilet, kitchen, everywhere, this space. Young people would just fall down and pray. Nobody told us to do that. On Friday evenings, we'd get together, pray right through the night, not sleep, freshen up in the next, next morning, we'd hit the streets and, and reach out to people. I mean, miracles were happening like you will not believe, except at our churches. I, I remember my pastor being from Wales. Heart of Wales. He was a sweet man, godly man, but he missed a lot of Sabbaths. And he was adamant that what was happening with the young people was with the devil, because if it were of God, it would have come through him. God would use him as agent, as mediating agent. He would be a catalyst. Can we go to that slide on, on, on what our problem is? It's called the Messiah complex, a state of mind, of being, where the individual possessing the complex subconsciously feel that they bear the weight of the world and that their actions and their word may be significant catalysts of changing the course of the world for better. The individual consistently envisioned prophetic projections of the future which desynchronize them from what many call living in the present, making it immensely difficult to be content with the world, great or evil. But 
Christ the Messiah. <laughs> this is an irony. Didn't have a Messiah complex. He hung around for 30 years doing the most difficult thing God called him to do. The most difficult thing wasn't going to the cross. The most difficult thing was the 30 years of waiting. Hanging around amongst us, seeing how pathetic we are, and not being allowed to do anything. Imagine that. Go and watch the Superman movies. They, they try to capture something of this, and, and it's actually very heretical, that, that nonsense. But there's, there's something in there that we can understand about the pain that Christ felt. <laughs> the point I'm wanting to make, people, is that the powerful, most powerful act of obedience in the next season that God is going to call us to do is to do nothing, just to be there. Face off the enemy. Face off your Red Sea. Face off the hordes of darkness. We're going to be confronted with evil. Evil is about to manifest. The powers of darkness were now poised to take over the world as per Antichrist and all that. It's not going to happen for the next couple of years because the glory of God is going to interrupt the flow of history. It's going to be massive. We're going to have an influx of people into the body of Jesus Christ that has nothing to do with how anointed or cool we are. It's just a sovereign move of God. It's been determined in eternity. My job is just, just to get us ready for that. People like me must get us ready for that. When I came to Stelmosh, the Satanists were handing out little cards saying, if you have an interest in Lucifer, dial this number. And they were, it got so bad that they did an open-air seance in front of the town hall at half past nine on a Monday night. And nobody did a thing. The press said nothing. And I went to the pastors in the town and said, what on earth is going on here? Why, why are you standing by just ignoring this? And then started a campaign because, in any case. But there was this old lady living in an apartment block in, in Stelmosh. And, and when these people came to her with the cards, you know what she did? She didn't talk to them. She went into holy anger and did nothing but be present to Christ. She dropped to her knees and just started worshiping Christ. The power of God took those people and flung them down the corridor against the far wall. And when they came to her, they had to run. And that lady just sat there in the presence of God. That's where the body of Christ is about to go to. The invasion has already started. The opposition is going to be great. And God's calling it. He's allowing it because the world needs to understand his greatness, his glory. But I've got good news for you today. You who cannot pray, cannot prophesy, cannot lay hands on people, cannot do any of that stuff. You who would like to break down your contribution in the kingdom of God to a skill set and, and a bunch of things that you can do, learn to do. I want you to relax. Those things are all great and they're fine. But they're not as important as we make them out to be because they... They flow from, a, from an erroneous assumption, a wrong assumption, that my contribution actually makes a big difference. It doesn't. But my embassy does, the fact that I'm there. I want to tell you, in your family, at work, where you are, it's time for believers just to relax. Don't go on with this pressure that our culture puts on us as, as we cannot distinguish between gospel and culture, that I must go in then because I'm there, I'm, I must change everything. No. Everything will change because you're there, not because you're doing anything to change it. God wants you to be present to him in every situation. And so sometimes we do stuff, sometimes we don't do stuff. He'll, he'll tell us. But I, I don't go into, into, a, into a rugby team and, and, and I'm here now and when I'm through the rugby team, I must all serve Christ and all speak in tongues. No. I go there as salt and as leaven. I don't know when last you've seen salt running around your kitchen looking for food to inject itself into. We've, we've got these weird notions of, of Christianity. As if God is beholden to our commitment. He's not. He's not. But God wants to, to deliver us from um, performance, pressure, and stress, and fear of failure, and fear of underachievement. God wants to deliver us from a desire to have a scripted life. In other words, everything's written out for me. It's like having sermons like having now. I'm having to go, follow the points and all that. 
When I say that God wants my emptiness, then there's something that, that I need to speak to parents about. It's about nothingness. And it works like this. We're sitting around and little Johnny says, Mom, I'm bored. And you've all seen that. There's this moment, Mom feels guilty. And Mom looks to Dad because we must do something now because Johnny's bored. Because somebody somewhere said to us that our job, our first calling in life is to keep Johnny entertained. And so Mommy will say something like, well, have my phone or, or, or just wait a while, but we're going to get you an iPad and you can play Angry Birds all day and you needn't be bored. We don't have a situation anymore where, where Dad's running around down to, to Grahamstown. He's, he's got to drive there for something. He says, Johnny, want to come along? Uh, no, Dad, I'm, I'm, busy, I'm busy right now. Uh, wh- why must I go, Dad? Uh, no, just, just, just come along. Uh, <laughs> Dad, what, what, what must I do? What's in it for me? And Dad says something that only teenagers may say. Dad may not say whatever. Only teenagers may say that. But Dad wants to say whatever. J- just come. But you know what's going to happen. In the next few minutes, Mom will intervene and say, Dad, stop bugging the kid. And right there, in that trip between East London and Grahamstown, little Johnny has just had his life wasted by reinforcement of a definition of life that is so ungodly, so unbiblical, so demonic. Because we are so convinced that life cannot possibly happen when there's nothing happening. In other words, I'm doing nothing. I've, I've lost the audience, but stay with me now. We're going to get our heads around this. In other words, Johnny's going to get into the car, and Dad, no, Dad doesn't have a game for him. And no, there's no cell phone in the car, and there's no iPad, and there's not stuff to do. It's a great opportunity for Johnny to learn to be present to Dad, just quietly, peaceably. And maybe stuff's going to happen, maybe nothing's going to happen. But the great thing is, we're together. You know, in the old days, Dad could do like this. Dad could say, Johnny, let's go fishing. And then they go fishing and they come back and Mom says, what happened? And little Johnny says, nothing. And Mom says, did you catch anything? And Johnny says, nothing, Mom. And then she looks at Dad. Did you guys talk? Dad says, no. What did you talk about? Nothing. <sighs> now we've got this big moment because we, we've, got, we've got a misplaced morality here. Mom's really getting tense right now because you've wasted what the psychologist calls, what does the psychologist call that time? Quality time. And quality time can only be quality times when things happen. And there's verbal engagement. There can't be quality time when nothing happens. Now, we're talking about David's experience of God. I go into the vast expanse of nothingness, and when I get there, God is there. And if, if I really want to be stupid, I can say that there's nothing there. But I know it's not nothing. God's there because I've learned to be present to him. I can feel him grab me. I can feel him guide me, hold of me. I, I've, I've discovered closeness to him because I've learned to be present. You can go and read the Psalms and watch David speak to himself. says emotions saying to himself, stop being stupid now. Be still, my soul, and know that he's God. He's here. He's here. Focus, focus, focus. Everywhere I come, I want to appeal to us to raise a generation that are programmed and trained to engage with God. People that aren't obsessed with accessories. I watch these dear women, bless their hearts, in every city I come. It's a Sunday morning. She's cycling. Everything about her body language says, I hate this moment. I hate this bicycle. But I love that man in front of me. And I'm so desperate to be close to him, I'm going to be cycling because we're going to stop somewhere and then we're going to have this moment. And then I watch them having those moments with the coffee and the lattes and that. And, and that's what she's there for. She, 
she's not there for you. Leave it to herself. She's not going to get anywhere near a bicycle. But she's connected to a guy who doesn't have a life, but he has a bicycle. Oh, man, this is such a racial moment. Only all the black people are laughing. <laughs> I'm not knocking the bicycle, and I'm not knocking the running shoes. I'm knocking a presupposition here as to how we think about life. Because it's hard to come into the presence of God and just sit there and do nothing and know that God's there. Because God is only great because he's got to perform for us. This chap who wrote the shack, I have a friend who went to visit him at his house. And this, this friend is a great fan and he writes books. He tries to write books like the shack. And he just made a passing remark. I, did, I didn't knock him about the, the author. The, the shack is a guy who, uh, who writes a book uh, depicting God as this big lady, rotund lady, friendly lady who, uh, who's, who runs around serving us, humanity, because he loves us so, she loves us so much. Hogwash. If you've read the book, burn it, throw it away. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. It's not like God is here to serve us. It's not even like we're here to serve God. That's not where God's at. The God we serve, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, dwells in eternal community. And you know what? They just hang together. They don't hang around impressing each other with great feats of power. The union is called what Christ calls John 17, the glory. And that glory is, is the same as represented at, at microscopic level with, uh, with atoms, the, the electron, the proton, the neutron. And they're held together mysteriously. Science can't tell us what bonds them together. But if you disturb that connection, the whole universe becomes very volatile. Everything begins to blow up. The existence of God is so powerful. The fingerprint is everywhere. It's in our DNA. It's in the sky. It's, it's everywhere. And God is not the great I do or the great will be or was. He's the great I am. He's the eternal, eternally present one. And he hasn't called us to do stuff. He's called us to be sons. And so I'm wanting to challenge you today. To take time out. Take a timer. And preferably not yourself. And take the battery out. Put your cell phone in another room. Then spend some time with God. Starting with 30 seconds. Move it on to 45. Small steps. Small steps. This is a quantum leap for our generation. To tell people to come to God. And then to do what Henri did today. To run the little screenshot that says. No cell phones. No screaming babies. Just, just leave your baby. Your baby's not going to die. In those 40 seconds. It's just a commitment to get your life back from what's called the human race. It's not supposed to be a race. Shut everything down. Put away all those prayer books and those prayer journals and the, I don't know, whoever writes stuff about it. Put it away. It gets worse. Shut your Bible. Don't read it. Just sit quietly and teach your being to focus on God. Talk to a pastor who's, who's gone to be with the Lord now and before he went to the Lord. God told me he was going to be with the Lord because it was about, he was blowing it. He was the most successful pastor in this nation. I, and I'm not telling nonsense now because my wife and I both heard this from the Lord. We got into a plane. And a lot of our people were in that church. At a, I went to the city's park in the middle and I got them together. And I said, your pastor's about to pass away. They're going to say it's the devil, but it's God. God's taking him away while it's still going good for him. Otherwise, he's going to lose his salvation. A week later, doing a prayer walk, in front, he passed away, and a, a guy came to call me from a call box. He says, I don't know why I'm calling you, but Pastor So-and-so has just passed away, and I just felt that I should call you. But he tells a story. This, this pastor tells a story about, about being in Seoul, South Korea, and, and there are many, many pastors, thousands of pastors at, at uh, Yonggi Cho's church. And Yonggi Cho says, um, this morning we're going to spend some time with God. Um, and so we, we're going to spend the first two hours just praying. And this pastor says, 
No, that was a great idea, but after five minutes, he was bored out of his mind. Felt like he was about to go mad. And my, my, heart, my heart just broke at the thought. Because it's not about the praying. It's about the growing to and into God. We have 20 reasons why we come to church and why we come to Christ before we come to church. Most of them are bad, but God's fine with that. At least we're coming to the right place. But now having come to his church and to his knowledge, he wants us now to learn to come to him. My brother was a hyper, hyper active kid and uh, he couldn't sit still for five minutes. So every day my mom would have him sit on a leg while she was, she'd have a sewing machine, a singer sewing machine. And if dear Francia moved, my mom would just stop and slap him and then go on again. She got it right. Francia got it right to sit still for an hour. It can be done. Don't believe all this ADHD rubbish that they're talking these days. It can be done. You're not ADHD. You, can, you and I can learn to be present to God. We can. We can. And, and can I tell you where God wants to go to with this? Obviously, it's going to bring us very close to him. I, I just want to share one scripture with you and when we're done. Matthew 10, verse 12 to 13. And I've had so many beautiful moments like this in the last while. You're going to have it too. It says, as you enter a house, greet it. It's the good courteous habit. If the house is worthy, watch this. Let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. Isn't that a weird notion? And you know what that refers to? It refers to sonship. It refers to that embassy. It refers to Moses when he stands at the Red Sea. When you're present to God... The Prince of Peace comes to reign, and he begins to pervade the entire atmosphere with the poised sense of his presence. He's about to do something. But my being present to him as a son, as, as one practicing embassy, allows him to come in in the same way that the Holy Spirit came to this dark continent. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, brooding upon our chaos. He was just present here. Out of that, the glorious creation of the earth came, the reordering of all the elements. I was on campus earlier this year, and it was with a thieves must fool people. They invited me to a debate. It wasn't a debate. It was a let's smash Fred evening. And I sat there with a massive migraine from hell. I swallowed pills. It wouldn't go away. So I had my hand stuck over my eye like this, and, and all the gays and the Muslims and everything just kept going for me. And I didn't have the power to respond. <laughs> I could just literally be there. But God, it was one of those times when God was teaching me something about this principle. And it went on and on, and there was one young man that was particularly vociferous. He went for me. He was mm, ripping me apart. And then suddenly he stopped, and we all looked at him like, what's that? Mid-sentence, he just stopped, and, and he, he cupped his face in his hands, and he was leaning forward like this, and, and then he, he did it. He looked up at me and said, Mfundis, I just want to honor you for the man of God you are, that you'd come and be here with us tonight. I want to honor you for your humility. And then he continues to eulogize me as only Africa can until a sense of God's presence pervades that place and the whole meeting turns. And I said nothing except I was there. I'm invited by a family once to another town and they've got a teenage daughters into Satanism and things are freaking out at home. And I, I rush over there and I find the family in panic-stricken state and, and um, they show me to a room. I, I go to the room and she's all dressed in black and she's playing dreadful music and... And I walked into the room, and she turns up the music till the speakers uh, distort. And then I pulled up a chair in the middle of the room with, with her walking circles around me, trying to vibe me out of the room. And I crossed my arms, crossed my legs, smiled, put my head back, and then I did this. I released my peace into the heart. didn't say a word to the girl. Within that week, that girl was saved, spiritual, till today. It's like 20 years ago. 
I can tell you a lot of stories, but there's something, there's something that God wants to bring home to us. When Jesus said, come to me and rest, he says, I want, you, I want to move you away from the space, the race. And I'm not wanting to knock a nation, but lots of literature come from America. It's, it's the pursuit of happiness and the pursuit of this. It's the pursuit of life. We don't pursue life when we're born alive. Tian spoke about it the other night. There's an endemic, deeply rooted discontent that is of the devil. Our kids can't sit and just be there. This entertainment obsession is an abomination. It's time to get your kids to shut off that internet, shut off the phone, shut off the TV. And even if it just happens around the table, even if nothing gets said, we sit there until we overcome the awkwardness of presence. But we can't go running like this because we're running away from God. And then we go to meetings where we get told a hundred ways of getting the presence of God. God is going to be present here. He's not going to be present there in the way you think. He's everywhere. He was there waiting for you. God is waiting here for us this morning long before we came. Because when we leave here, he doesn't go home. Because he's at home when you get there. He's everywhere. And the moment I zone in and tune in, we awaken to the truth that he's there. He's present. That's when miracles happen. But he wants to unveil us. I tell you people, we don't even see each other. We're so self-obsessed, self-conscious. We are veiled. We're waiting for prophetic revelation. We're waiting to hear from God. We're waiting for a lot of things. Can we stand this morning? As I prayed this morning, the Lord spoke to me. There's a lot of reasons why it's hard for us to learn the art of presence. To learn to be present to God. But there's one big terrible reason, and it's demonic. You must listen very carefully now. I'm using my choice of words very deliberately. I'm trusting God that it's going to set people free in this place. God is about to alert us to the devices of the evil one, not to destroy our lives. The devil wants our lives. He wants our ministries. He wants to use it. He wants to capture it, to use it against the purpose of God. There's so much ministry happening in the body of Christ right now that has nothing to do with Christ, but the talk of Christ looks like Christ, sounds like Christ, and I'm not knocking people. I'm saying that the traps of the enemy are so subtle. He's got the extremes out there. He's got the Islamists and the Satanists and all that. They're not the danger. The dangers of Christianity that has has us parking like cars in the parking lot when the surface is in the building, but we never get to the building because the parking lot looks so amazing. We practice parking lot Christianity. We're talking about the movement and the momentum and the relevancy and the shiny and the the loud and the the roaring engines. We, We talk about the energy and the action. But we are aliens to where God has His happy place. It's inside you where nothing may happen. But Him. No program, no script, no movie show, no smoke machines, no whatever. It's amazing how we need to dress up God to fool people into believing that something's happening. But God help us, we need to move beyond the shallowness. We need to learn to connect with God. We need to have a relationship with God where we're not desperate, when He's not moving, when He's not speaking, when He's not acting, when our senses aren't stimulated, then we want to panic because we are like little children. We've had parents who've gone through a divorce. 
and our greatest motivations are our fears of abandonment. Then mom's going to go away. Dad's going to go away. And those obsessions come from the place of vulnerability where you're so hurt and the devil slips in and he brings a spirit of rejection. Sometimes it comes in the womb when mom's not sure that she wants you because the timing's bad. And then she gets advice that she's got to abort you. And then she even tries and sometimes fails and we still survive and we make it. Or you get born and there's no celebration at your birth. You are born into words of acrimony and conflict and tension. And your spirit registers the fact that you're not welcome in this space called earth. And then we run to Christ because we need healing on that level and we never know it. And then we'd offered all of these options of, of keeping busy because if you're busy, you feel useful. You feel human. You feel needed. We've got a deep need to be needed, to be wanted. And if we're not, we get offended and we leave church. And Christ is over Jerusalem and He's just weeping over the city. He says, you don't know me. My, my heart is like that of a mother hen. You don't know my nurturing heart. All I'm wanting to do is just gather you and hold you under my wing, keep you safe, but you keep running away. You keep running. You want to sit still so I can hold you. I just want to hold you. I want you to sit in my presence. I just want to heal you. I just want to, no, 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 no. Don't change the world. Don't save the world. That will come. But you have no idea how easy it is. It's like me walking on the water. I can be present to the Father, not be buzzed by the storm. But if needed, I can speak. Just turn around, speak to the storm, tell it to be quiet. He says to the disciples of you, little faith, you can do the same. You're present here. The storm is more aware of you than it's of it. But you don't know that. We're afraid of the economy. We're afraid of recession. We're afraid of the politics. We're afraid of the country going under. We're afraid of what's happening to our climate and our environment. We're afraid, afraid. Of, and the devil's piling on the paranoia. Christ says, just, just come, just come, just come. Just come, just come. And make it seconds, but oh my goodness, people. God just wants to come into your room and say peace be still just be still just be still just be still Christ wants to sit knee to knee with you and just do what many of our mothers didn't do just spend hours and hours of nothing time with us when we're on the breast, when we're on our arm. I want to talk to a lot of moms here today that run off to work because of the pressure, because of your values, because of your priorities, because of the lack of options you believe you have. And it's so hard for you to give that kid, that little one, the time that would define its gender identity, its spiritual identity, it's ethnic identity. It's cultural identity. And you know how that happens? You don't talk to that child. Science has now proven that when the mom makes eye contact with that child for hours and hours and hours, we can measure brain activity and we know that there's a transfer of data. 
because it can be seen on the side of the child. That frontal lobe is growing at a rate of knots. But nothing's being said. The child is being introduced to what life comes down to. Presence. 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 I preach a lot. I teach a lot. But these days, people ask me, isn't it hard to travel like this? Because I'm flying from here to England and we're doing the same. I've been doing it all year. But you know, God's just playing catch up with me. Because I like to do things, to write things, to direct and like be a CEO. And Christ says, it's not how it works. We're just going to be present. Just going to see what I'm doing. Stop speaking from a distance. Stop panicking. Just, just, just go and see me. And it's awesome to be here. Just to see. Just to be present. Just to observe. God is about to take us into spaces where we do nothing. He will do everything. He will take the battle over. No big warfare ants and all that stuff. Are you just releasing the peace? Just releasing the peace. You can walk into a mosque. You can walk into a Satanist room. If you learn to be present to Christ, Christ comes in and He takes over everything. The coming move of God is going to be awesome. We've seen it happen in the past. Charles Finney used to walk into factories where people worked their ninnies of slave labor at those times. And he would just stand there and park. By the time he leaves, everybody in the factory are on their knees repenting and connecting with God. He would turn out and walk away. What was he doing? Nothing. He was being present to God. We're going to see things happening on, on crowded buses and trains, on planes with believers just having a moment with God, just being present. Before we pray, maybe just one moment. I'm in a hospital many years ago, and it's, it's a word God gave me then, powerful. One morning, Sunday morning, he says, the heavy rains are coming. And there's a rainbow hanging before the sun comes up in the dark over the water. And I'm puzzled by this. It looks like a techno rainbow, digital rainbow. But that week I'm, I'm at a hospital visiting somebody. And, and, and I'm asked to pray for a lady. The, the lady is, is like massively blown up. She's got tubes coming out of back from her organs or kidneys or something. And she's jaundiced. And, and she's, uh, she's got a day or two to live, I'm told. And I don't feel like praying for somebody. I, it's, you know, it's just a pastoral visit actually to my mom. And you know how moms are. She's been telling everybody when my boy comes, everything's going to change. Things are going to happen here. And I'm offended at the thought because I'm busy. And I'm praying all the way. I'm, I'm wrestling with God. What are you saying to me? And I, as I'm standing there with, with the lady lying in front of me, I'm too afraid to actually lay hands on her. So I, I, I do like, like a half mast. <laughs> and then it happens. That big body comes, levitates up to my hand just hangs there and I realize, oops, something comes going. So I, I pray for her under my breath. And then God touches her and then the power of God runs down the wall and around. I, I see it as, as women, like pop, as God, the power of God touches them. But before I ran out there, God's power had pervaded that entire level of the hospital. I was overcome with emotion because it took me more by surprise. And as I remember standing outside looking back, it was Victoria Hospital in Rhinebeck, looking back and the voice of God just came back to me again, says, the heavy rains are coming. The heavy rains are coming. God wants to release you of your need to impress Him. To find validation by what you do and by how you do it. He loved you long before you could do anything. He loved you long before you could think of doing anything. Long before that. He loved you, accepted you, celebrated you. And He thinks about you in the same way still. 
for not for one moment should you be under pressure to do anything. His priority is just to be with you. For you to be with Him. And not to make it a discipline, not to do it out of an act of obedience and the first step of disciple making. God says, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a new thing. That's an old thing. It's the first thing. It's the primal thing. I would be your happy place. Not the telephone. Not Google. Not the bicycle. Not sex. Not food. Not fellowship. Not friendship. Not acceptance. Not recognition. Not acknowledgement. A lot of ego trick is beautiful, human, all fine. wanting to heal you I want to be a happy place at this time when I said I came to give you abundant life I meant it you keep thinking in terms of stuff happening a charismatic church so bent on breakthrough we want breakthrough we want to we, we want a Robocop God that smashes through walls and does stuff so we can brag with him so we can feel great in his assumed greatness